Hi, I'm Tiki Barber, co-founder of Thusio. Thanks for listening to the Thusio Live and Unfiltered podcast. We're bringing our past events back to life for you to enjoy. Ric Flair is a WWE legend, one of the great characters in the history of professional wrestling. He joined Thusio Live and Unfiltered in April 2019 in an interview conducted by Adam Lefko to shed light on his most memorable moments in the ring. From iconic matches against the likes of Andre the Giant to becoming a world champion and ultimately his retirement from the industry that he dedicated his life to, the Nature Boy takes us on a journey through his one-of-a-kind career. Enjoy the interview. Last time I was here, you guys, I was on my way to my deathbed, so I went to the doctor yesterday before I... And got it cleared before I got in the plane to come here again. So I'm good to go at least till tomorrow. So the hell. I got to give you a big intro, but I want everyone to do it with me. This is a 16-time world champion. This is a two-time Hall of Famer. And this is where I need your help. This is a man who is styling profiling, limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling dealing, son of a gun, the nature boy, Space Mountain, Ric Flair, shower this man with woos, three, two, one. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Thank you. You're the man. Um, so everybody loves you. I think the coolest thing about you, and I've down done this with you like two times, is you're so generous with your time. But I'm curious, has there been a celebrity that's seen you and gone, oh my God, it's Ric Flair, that kind of caught you off guard, that you didn't even realize how big you were? The awareness, which I, did, I realized, but I didn't realize how much um, admiration they had for me. I've met some rap artists, some musicians in the last couple of years. I saw like Migos and Quavo. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't realize. Um, yeah, they thought I was pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know. And they got a yeah, song I'm, after I, you. I left going, I got to buy some more jewelry because I can't keep up. They showed you up a little that, bit? That damn offset, man. Jesus. That's he awesome. thought I would have some shit on. I said, Jesus Christ. Now, I, I said to his bodyguard, I said, you know, let me add all this up one time. He said, well, he's probably got about $750,000 worth of stuff on one day. I mean, the chains and the watches. And I've had some nice stuff at the Migos. Or the Migos. And they call that Ric Flair drip. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. It, it, it's not. <laughs> if they only knew. I'm getting a lot of credit for stuff I don't own. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I have five names for you. I'm just going to say their name. And I kind of want to know what it was like working with them, but also partying with them. Uh, I'm going to start off with Undertaker. I'm just curious. Uh, yeah. Well, I, it's funny you've mentioned it. I just talked to him last night. Um, cause I, that's I, amazing. Yeah, no. Can we no. just say that's amazing? No, he, they, they, they were, uh, they had SmackDown. They've had the draft this week where they moved, the WWE moved talent between Raw and SmackDown. And, and Vince had a big announcement. I was watching the show. My daughter is on SmackDown and said they have a big announcement. So I texted him. I said, don't tell me. I'm going to be surprised again tonight. And, uh, he said, nope, I'm sitting in Austin. Um, but he and I are going to Liverpool 
a week from tomorrow, so for four days with my wife. <laughs> yeah, it's not like it used to be, but um, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm on a I'm on an extended leash right now, guys. But believe me, I've got an ankle bracelet on. I still can't walk off the property without setting off an alarm. So, um, <laughs> but in the in the heyday, Undertaker. In the heyday, I can't I can't think of anybody I've had as much fun with except maybe Roddy Piper. Um, and that's a different kind of fun. I just feel Mark. It's just he is um, not only a fantastic guy. He's one of the you know, to me, if you're looking at the most famous people in the history of the company, it's, you know, Taker's got to be right there. And he stayed with them when they had all the stuff going on with WCW, where as a component, he wouldn't have been able to go as the Undertaker. But, I mean, it was who he is, the stature, and uh, he couldn't be a nicer guy. He's just um, a regular guy. You'd enjoy it. But, boy, don't start drinking Jack Daniels with him. It, it's the end. Yeah, we were flying from from Tokyo to London. We had a shot in Tokyo, and then we flew to London. I know one of those crazy trips we were together. And on the way back from London, we we had it out. And I woke up in in Chicago, and I, <laughs> now listen to me. Listen, he in coach, which I was flying first class. I woke up. And uh, the guy, the guy was tapping me on the shoulder, going, "Hey, we're cleaning the plane," and I was laying like this. <laughs> he he had fold, folded my arms over me. <laughs> I also lost a Rolex in Baltimore with him, which is another story. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, great guy. All right, second name for you. It's in Chicago, it's yeah. perfect. What is Vince McMahon like? The best. Really? Yeah. A, a tough, incredibly tough, shrewd, um, honest to the point where it hurts your feelings, but he doesn't bullshit around. And uh, he has, uh, he's a brilliant, he's a brilliant guy. If you look at um, what every, every other sport is doing now in terms of sensationalizing their business, their entrances, the Super Bowl, the music, and we've been doing that for years. The packages they build on the individual players and the teams, and you know we've been doing that stuff for years. He has, you know, and uh, everybody's taking something from WWE, which is great. I think it's a, it's it's um, I don't I don't think we get enough recognition for it, but it's become, you know, for so long it was just a blue collar sport in people's minds, but everybody's been watching it forever and the cross cross demographic appeal. He's responsible for all of it, and uh, he's. Um, He's tough, you know. You don't want to be on the bad side of him. You know, I remember one time the Denver Nugget guy, or the, excuse me, the guy that owned the Denver Nuggets, they got in the playoffs somehow, but Raw was scheduled. <laughs> he, did, he blocked Vince from going in the building. They did a three-hour special on the guy. You'd have thought he was on a crime scene investigation. <laughs> they, they, they just murdered the guy. So... He might have got the building that night, but <laughs> that's all he got. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, he's not afraid of anybody. I mean, he just, he's uh, tackled it all. And, um, you know, in our business, people take cheap shots. And he just stands there. And I looked at him one time, the greatest line I think I've ever heard about being a man is, you know, I, with the pressure sometimes that, that you we all encounter in life in different aspects, not, not to the 
capacity that he does. But I said, how do you how do you not how do you my expression would be selling in our business? Like how do you not you know just got to take a deep breath? He said, I said I said how do you keep your game face on? He said I have to. I got 500 people depending on me every day. I can't change my game face. Short and sweet. All right, I'm going to take you on a throwback. What was it like to be around Andre the Giant? Oh, fantastic. I mean, yeah, this guy is mythological. Yeah, yeah he, I actually uh, started with Andre. We both started together in 72, and I drove Andre around when he was just uh, Jean Ferrer. Um, and uh, before he was Andre the Giant, he started in Montreal. From Montreal, he came <clears throat> to Minneapolis with Vern Gagne. And um, so I drove Andre around. And I would take him to Chicago and take him in all the bars in Chicago, and nobody knew who he was, but he was, the chicks all came running. <laughs> For Andre. Can I see your hand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the guy. I, I wouldn't have worked well in the 80s. With that. <laughs> no. The guy that uh, body slammed Andre, mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan. Yeah. When he was at his peak. Mm-hmm. What was it like to feel that energy? Because I feel like that was one of the highest peaks out there. Yeah, it was unbelievable. When he came down the aisle, it was... Um, I've only seen three people get the response coming down the aisle. And I, I think you guys, if you follow wrestling, would agree. Hulk, probably the biggest. And then uh, Stone Cold, when that glass broke, man, and Stone Cold broke at the door. And then Dusty Rhodes, that guy threw the dream in there. When he came down to old time rock and roll, Bob Seger. Yeah, I'd put those three guys. In terms of standing in the ring, 20, 30,000 people around you, depending on what the venue was or, or if we were outdoors. But um, yeah, Hulk was just amazing. You know, yeah, it, was, it was too much. And I, all he had to do, I'd say to him, just let me get you down to a knee. Let me get you to my size and leave the rest up to me, man. And it was so easy. I mean, when, when somebody, people are so over, if they'll just register for you, that's all you got to do. With Dusty, of course, he was whacking himself everywhere. <laughs> Getting blood and all yeah, that all stuff. Yeah, all the time, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rick, we know that you've held the title 16 times. I'm going to take you back okay. to time number one. I noticed a few things. The crowd is losing their minds. And the second thing is you looked at the belt for a long time. Your story, if people don't know, is he would have to go around the country and put over local champions. The world. Like, the, like what do you mean? The whole world. You're right. I apologize. No, really. Yeah. I wish but, it was. But you would go around, and you would play the heel, and you would put over the local. Well, I didn't put him over. He had to put me over or we wrestled an hour. So nobody wanted their hometown guy to lose. So. Right. So you'd go around the country and lose. R- rest, no, wrestle an hour every night. Damn. Yeah, I did... Uh, over 280-hour matches a night for five years. To get that payoff, what yeah, was well, well, that? Well, here's the deal. It's funny. I, it's interesting you brought that up. That, that looked like it, that was really the worst-case scenario that I could have possibly won the title. First of all, Dusty and I are very close. He'd only had it for a month, but it wasn't working out in terms of the fact that, that the NWA, when, that, when I got that, the NWA was the most prestigious wrestling organization. I mean, they had the WWF, whatever they had here, but that was just a local promotion or a five-state area. I mean, look where they are now, right? But as the NWA champion, you went all over the world from, it could be in Tokyo one night, New Zealand the next, 
you know, I mean, not literally the next, but the next day. Anyway, it was it was an unbelievably, it was a fun job if you liked it, like I did. But it was a lot of work traveling. You never got to go home. But we were close friends, and instead of having the, the match in a, uh, like Florida where he was a big box office or anywhere in the southeast, like where I was primarily, you know, featured too, they had it in Kansas City because the president of the NWA at that time was Bob Geigel, and he wanted to have it. So it was a small building, a memorial auditorium. Lou Thez was the referee, and it, I mean, it looked like they were excited, but it was I, I was excited. Back then, you couldn't tell, you couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't even tell my uh, girlfriend at the time. that I, oh, I told my mom and dad. It's one of the few times my parents ever came to see me wrestle. And, uh, and it was really cool, but boy, the next day, I, you know, was headed off to West Palm Beach, and I, I, I thought I was ready to be the world champion, and it didn't take me long to figure out I wasn't because I, I had been groomed with guys like Wahoo and Blackjack and Ricky Steamboat and Paul, all these really good, talented guys, and all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of nowhere wrestling guys that don't have nearly the skills that these other people did, and I'm having to make them look good, and for an hour, and that's that. So I. I had it for a year, they took it off me, and then another year, and then I, when I won it back in 83 was... That's when you were ready for it. I, That's when I was ready. I, I had my shit together, and that's when I really took off. I, 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 that was a great moment for me, but, you know, Dusty was with his wife, and when they're, when they're close friends, you know, nobody wants to lose the world title when you win it. I mean, it's like, it could have been a better, if we, you know, if we if, if I'd won in North Carolina or somewhere in the Carolinas, or he'd lost in Florida, it would have been, you know, better. But who, who knows? It just, it, it is what it is, and it's history. But um, uh, it, it was not the greatest moment. It, it looked like it was, but right. that it was for me to hold this belt and realize that I was right here with the Funks and the Briscoes and Luthez and Gene Kaniski and I all remember these fabulous champions ahead of me. I did a Thuzio event with Tiger's caddy that he had in like 97 oh, yeah. when he won the Masters. And he said that he went back to his hotel room and he put on the Masters jacket and he fell asleep in the jacket. Tiger? And, yeah. And I'm curious, like, when you win the title, are you just looking at it? Like, was it that kind of a moment where you'd worked all this time and finally it's in your hands with your name on it? Well, that night... Um the front desk manager at the Crown at the Crown Plaza was with me. She woke up with it on. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? I wasn't married. I was with my mom and dad. I'm not gonna go up there and hold the title. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just well played. Joke. <laughs> well played. Um, well done. That was great. Oh, they like shiny things, man. Yeah. <laughs> Can I wear that one night? Yes. <laughs> if you behave. <laughs> we'll get to some golden things in a minute. Uh, so at Bleacher Report, I mainly do an NFL show, and I keep noticing this, this combination between the NFL and wrestling. Mm -hmm. One of the four horsemen was uh, on the Chicago Bears, Steve McMichael. Yep. You were on a tag team back in the day with Kevin Green. Yep. Um, do you think Gronk could be a wrestler? Because, boy, there was a lot of talk about that. I know his back's messed up. I'm just curious what you think. 
Uh, well, his personality certainly could he, but he won't. He wouldn't like the schedule. He wouldn't mind me saying that either. He could he wrestle? Yes. Could he come on the show? People don't times? realize how tough. Yeah, he, is. he wouldn't like the schedule. The kids are still wrestling four days a week, and they're driving anywhere up to 300 miles a night after the show. It hasn't changed that much. It, it, you know, the fact that they have three days a week off is the difference. And the pay scale is a lot different. Don't misunderstand me. And, of course, the notoriety from television. Uh, you weren't just going seven days a week. You were going twice on, like, twice Sunday. Twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. Sometimes twice on Wednesday. Night. An hour every night, too. Sometimes two hours a day. Hence, cold Miller Lite. <laughs> I'll take another, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, we'll take another Miller Lite. That would be great. How did the four horsemen get together? I knew, you rode off into the sun. I'm just curious, how did it get aligned? It, we, well, we were wrestling a lot. At that time, um, it, Dusty was like the head guy on that, that side. And there was so much, we were so deep in talent in the business at that point. The WWE had their crew, but we had, the, you know, the Ricky Morton, Robert Gibbs, Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, Road Warriors, Dusty, Sting, Luger, Barry, me, Iron. I mean, it was... The business was, was rich with talent. And uh, one day, Iron just held up his fingers and said, we're the um, something of excellence. The, um, then he just calls the Four Horsemen, like, you know, the apocalypse. And uh, the next week, everybody in the audience was going like this. So it was really based off the audience. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was based wow. on Iron said it and went, you know, it was Tully, myself, Iron, and Ole. And uh, JJ was our manager, and we were... Doing a lot of those, um, you know, we were getting ready to start doing the war games where it was four against four, and then actually five because the managers came in, JJ and Paul or any. Um, but Iron just said it, and it, it took off. I mean, to this day, people, wherever I go, like me to do that, people want this, this whether I'm by myself or with the guys or not. And every time we get together, which will be easier now because Iron's not working for WWE anymore. Um, we have huge turnouts. We just did a show in Manhattan um, a week ago Saturday. Uh, when, the, when Mania was there, we did what's called WrestleCon. Yeah. And we had like uh, 180 photo ops at 200 bucks a piece. So, you know, yeah, I mean, there's, it's, it's a lucrative deal when we can get together. It, the Four Horsemen were wild in the ring. Yeah. I'm sure they were wild outside the ring. Yes. <laughs> was there a night... That, as I'm saying this, pops into your head right away? Every night. <laughs> Ceiling give, fans did not survive? Give, give me a city. Uh, Philadelphia. Right here? Yeah. There, the old Marriott. <laughs> you guys remember the old Marriott? Not the terminal Marriott, but the old one? The real Marriott. I think it's a Hilton now, or they tore it down. Do you remember back in the 80s? Yeah, that was, that was a deal, man. We didn't get to wrestle in the Spectrum back then. We'd wrestle at the uh, Civic Center. Yeah, whatever, right? And we'd 10,000 people. We'd roll over there and, Jesus, party all night long. It was phenomenal. Man. Yeah. That's when, it was, that, that, that's when girls came out. Now, now it's a guy's soap opera. You walk into a hotel, there used to be 1,000 girls. I mean, literally, not 1,000, but a couple hundred easy, right? Now you walk into a hotel and it's 500 guys. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so yeah. we all know this about Rick. 
not just his moves, not just his ability in the ring, his promos were incredible. I brought my personal favorite promo. It's a snippet. I don't think it's everybody's favorite promo, but this is the one very known as the Golden Spoon. Flair's a good guy. It's the old adage that you like to hear somebody's doing pretty good, but you don't want to hear they're doing better than you. You see? And the bottom line is, my whole career, I've always done better than anybody else. Only because of one reason. I was born with a golden spoon. I inherited the ability. I inherited the money. I inherited the God-given best looks in the world today. And now the clothes and with come this, I dress myself in Opus Wade. I dress myself in cashmere. Yeah. I dress myself in hundred-dollar pleated slacks. I dress myself in alligator shoes. I wear a fifteen thousand dollar Rolex. I got Mercedes Benz, Rolls Royce, the biggest house on the biggest hill on the biggest side of town. You know why I got all that? Because I was born with a golden spoon. And that took me to the World Heavyweight Wrestling Championship. Starcade 86. Oh, 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 oh. I got chills. So the last clip when you won the title, that was performance. I label this one disruption because I don't think I had ever seen anybody take over a mic like that. I mean, I feel like you changed the game. <laughs> well, I'm glad you do. That's why I'm here tonight. <laughs> Most people my age are sitting at home watching TV. So um, it's, I don't know. I just. What's it like to see yourself do that? Um, well, it's funny. People have asked me. That's a good question. I, I never watched myself wrestle. You know, I, mean, I didn't go home and watch where, where I'd been. Does that make sense? I was there, so I knew. And I knew if I'd... I, I never watched the DVDs and all that stuff. Um, you know, I just had so much fun. i got to be honest with you. Those promos right there, we had been out in Buckhead all night long. can imagine, right? Oh, you know, Buckhead, 5 a.m., there had to be a TV at 8 o'clock in the morning, and that show started at 9. So just coffee, and away you go, and then off to another shot Saturday afternoon and two on Sunday. So I just, you know, had so much fun. And, I mean, I can't even tell you about a, a, a bucket. Jesus Who Christ. comes up with the promos? Is that right off the That's top? That's right of, off the top of my head. Now, no. the Golden Spoon, like that one in particular. Yeah, nobody – all my stuff is original. I never wrote – I, one of the reasons I had a tough time when I first went to WWE is they wanted me to, you know, to, to say what they were saying. I didn't, I couldn't do it. I, I can't, I understand that, you know, as a business change that you have to memorize the pay-per-view name, the theme, the date, and I, which is, you know, if you're, when you're rolling, it's hard to go come up Philadelphia and then the name, you know, everything's got a, a theme to it now, right? So I, I I got used to that, but it just when you get in a role and you're and you can and you're literally playing off the emotions of the audience, I mean why why stop? You can see when it you know when it was happening, and um, and I just had fun doing it. A little bit later in the clip, just go look Golden Spoon up on YouTube. You go and even these idiots and the crowd just goes nuts, and you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. like you're feeding off it. Yeah, how did? When you were doing promos like this, because apparently it was all improvisational, 
Would other wrestlers, when you would go back, would they be like, holy crap, was that, a, that was amazing? Like, did you feel it impacting other people? Um, I think the guys appreciate it. I knew that what drove me was that what was Dusty was on the same show, and Dusty could talk his ass off. Yeah. So I, I, you know, had hoped that I was written down where I was following him. If not, I had to give him something to think about. Does that make sense? So you guys kind of pushed each oh, other on the time. promo yeah. games. Well, me and Piper, too. So Really? Oh, he could go. <laughs> when I worked with Roddy, I had to think about it, too. But those are the only two guys that made me think to what I could say that would be, you know. Once you, the key, the thing that's different now is I found my character and I never had to change. I'm the only guy that Vince McMahon has never changed. He, you know, he didn't change my name, didn't try to package him in a different way. And if you look at the history of our business, everybody now, the problem with the TV is they're repackaging people because there's a scarcity of talent. And it's, a guy can be a phenomenal performer, but if you don't have that niche that entertains you or you guys or your family or your kids, or whatever, you it's can do work. everything. Right? But if you don't have a niche, it catches their eye. You're, you know, you're gone. I mean, not gone, but you're. Yeah. That opportunity has, will come and go in a blink. Would you put the rock at your level? Oh yeah. Of promo, well, most definitely, of course. Because he had yeah. some times oh, with God, the smell. Yeah. Like. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's, a, he, he's a, not, not only one, not only he's an incredible guy. I, uh, well, look where he's gone. I mean, yeah. you know, everybody. Wow. The, the, yeah, it's just, um, and he stayed humble and nice and. Uh, my wife is here tonight, and uh, he's actually buying a home in Atlanta. My wife and uh, Rock's mom and I are, like, really close. So we That's don't cool. talk to him a lot, but because his schedule, he he when he commits to something, he goes full speed. And, right. And he does movie after movie after movie after movie. He owns a production company now. He's just done so well. Um, yeah, but Rock, it, Rock had to live under the scrutiny of having stuff written down for him. Mm. Then he would go back and think it out and put it into his words. And he was so good at it. A guy it. named Brian Gerwitz, who, he, who Brian, he hired Brian when he left to come with him. Really? Yeah, you know, it, which which helped. But, I mean, he had an outline, and he, uh, but you can't take an outline, and, and and he would make it so entertaining. I mean, he could play the guitar, he could sing, and yeah. stuff. That's the problem now, that... that What's old, the fans want again. You know, I mean, and it's not that old. It's just 15 years or 10 years since The Rock was there. I'm going to take you back now 22 look, look, years. Look at Stone Cold. I mean, oh, yeah. one margarita, two beer. I mean, who can make that shit up, right? That was awesome. That's the way Steve lives. Nine, <laughs> 1995, you go to North Korea? Yeah. And it's the collision in Korea and 190,000 fans... Like, it's incredible to me that we've sent Dennis Rodman and Ric Flair to North Korea. Like, it really is unbelievable. Yeah. But you're in no, this... No, Dennis wants me to go now. I said, hell no. <laughs> I, I went with Ali one time, and that's it. God. When you go there, I mean, what is it like to enter the country? What's it like to be in front of all it, those people? It was the most intimidating thing that I've ever done in my life. I would never, ever go again. Um... <laughs> they were all like clapping at the same time no 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 here's the, here's the what i apologize was, north korea is, is they went to i was their third choice they asked foreman and foreman said absolutely not then they went to hulk and said i can't make that one brother you know hulk right <laughs> so then they just told me i was going and at that time i was um 
you know, you're thinking about running for governor. So I was actively. You at, were thinking about running for governor? In North Carolina, yeah, in 91, I thought about it. You would have been incredible. Yeah, we, we decided I might have too many skeletons in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, I just saw Ventura last week, though. It, I went to see Jesse in Minneapolis for a, for a day, and now I tell you, that's a, that's a thankless job. It's just a PR uh, job. And, but you're in Korea. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, so um, I asked, I called uh, Helms and Strom Thurmond both and said, what do you guys think? And they said, don't go. But anyway, it was supposed to be Jimmy Carter, his wife, Ted, Jane Fonda, Myself, Ted as in Ted Turner. Ted Turner, okay. Jane, myself, and Muhammad Ali. Well, obviously Jimmy Carter didn't go. Obviously Ted and Jane didn't go. So it ended up being <laughs> Eric Bischoff, Ali, me, and then a guy named Sonny. I can't think of his last name. One of Eric's friends. But we got off. The, from the moment I got off the plane, we, flew, we went on a private jet out of um, Nagoya. We flew to Nagoya commercial and then out of a pri private jet, but took our passports and they separated us took all in one place took me another and you know the guy was so wrapped up on my watch you know he just looking at me going like i didn't not this one either just a regular rolex with a few diamonds on it <laughs> and, and the, the guy was so wrapped up he said to me you know i i would have to work my whole life to have something like that and they said because when i was there the average Amer average north korean made six american dollars a week I mean, it's it's very it's a really strange, intimidating place. And you were there for how long? I was supposed to be there four days. I was there seven. They oh wouldn't let us leave. And then Mike Chinoy from CNN wanted me to, they wanted me to make this statement publicly that after visiting North Korea, I could see that they could defeat the United States or Japan. They hate the Japanese and they hate us. Why they hate us, I don't know. Um, I guess the Japanese history with the Korean people is, you know, something that none of us will understand, but... So you or, get back on the plane, and are you with Ali? I'm with Ali flying back, And do you back, guys yeah. just look at each other, like, what just happened? No, the worst part was we're at Marigold Hall, which is their White House. He and I and all the dignitaries, and not not Kim Il-jun, and not his son, but the next highest guy. Beautiful, phenomenal. I mean, it's the, it is a beautiful sure. countryside, beautiful. And the guy starts talking about how much they hate America and how much they hate. He'd talking and someone would translate. There's 50 people at the table. And Ali tapped me on the leg. His, Ali didn't say a word. Right? You know, that's his gimmick. He can hear everything, but he, for a while he just didn't talk. He just did magician tricks, pulling a balloon out of his yeah. hand and all that shit, right? So he goes to me, he goes, no wonder we hate these some bitches. I said, I said, look at Ali, I love you to death, but man, do not start talking now. <laughs> now is not the time to revolt. Yeah, we're not going to Vietnam, brother. You don't have to go to Vietnam. Man. We're getting out of here. <laughs> Shut up. No shit. He said, no, no wonder we hate these son of bitches. He hasn't said a word in three, in, in like two, three two years. years. I just... <laughs> If, if you needed to know I, I, I how you get Ric Flair and Muhammad Ali to be quiet, yeah. oh God, that's the answer yeah, to that. Yeah, he's what a fabulous guy. I've met, I worked with him three or four different times in my career, but 
at that point, if you, if you know the story, you know, he'd like to be an amateur magician and all that. So he, he must have shown me the same trick 40 times. And all, and all of a sudden, he starts talking at this damn table. And me and him, I go, Jesus Christ, please. <laughs> Listen, let's pretend like we're in New Orleans and I'm not watching on the other with five chicks going up to the roof, okay? <laughs> Hey, don't think he didn't have a couple, right? Joe, Joe Namath had nothing on Ali, man. Good Lord. That's the amazing. girls like Muhammad. How can uh, they not? I yeah, get it. God, that's what I say. All that entertainment and all that stuff I did, you know, I, I actually, I believe that. Does that make sense? The reason I was good at it is because I lived that life. There's very few things you'll ever see that I said that I didn't do. <laughs> Does that make sense? And that's not always, you know, setting the right example or pace for anybody, right? But when you did it, I, I just loved the business, you no know, good or bad, whether I got paid or didn't get paid. I mean, I can give a thousand reasons why I should be better, but at the end of the day, I'm here with you guys in Philadelphia tonight, and I almost died a year and a half ago, and here I am, you know, enjoying the company of some really wonderful people, and you guys aren't like you're, I'm not down here at the union, you know, you know, trying to get a raffle ticket for two bucks. I'm with some, no, I'm with the, I'm with the, the blue blood, thoroughbred people of Philadelphia tonight, not, who has that? Does that make sense? Hell yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, so I mean, and, and I'm having fun, and, but it's moments like that that ground me. Like, I just, you know, I got, who, I mean, who gets all these chances of crashing an airplane? Are you shitting me? Pilot died, two people paralyzed, hit by lightning, and then uh, literally a year and a half ago, the guy told me, you have a 20%, we didn't tell me because I was in a coma, and I had a 20% chance to live. And everybody, yeah, this, is the, this is you guys can relate to this or you can plan for the future, Everybody thought I was dying. And so people that owed me money went south on me. <laughs> no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's it, I, well, I can, I can laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny at the time. And Wendy, you know, people literally, a lot of money, you know, went, everybody thought I was dying. So people are trying to get my intellectual property, people are trying to get, and they're, and they're you know, they're knocking down Wendy's door. And Wendy had no one to go to but Steve Austin and, and uh, and then Vince you know, wow. came in, and it just because it was that close a call. But now, I mean, I look back on it, and I, I'm sharing these moments with you. I see. I I don't remember any of it. I didn't have a memory for it. a lot of people. Don't know. I I couldn't even remember what happened up at the Christmas, and I got uh, I was operated on in August 14th. So you know what they didn't realize? Huh? They didn't realize who they were fucking dealing yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. You know. No, it's funny. It's uh, I'm I'm the luckiest guy alive. But moments like that, just um, I mean, I don't know who else gets it. I haven't. I've you know been to like I said, Cooperstown and that, and everybody has that personal moment of emotion. But to be able to know that you've affected people's lives in what I consider to be the most insensitive business. Mm. Our business is very insensitive, guys. We don't have we don't have unions, and we don't have. Um, players associations. Players associations. We're yeah. independent contractors, and you know it's it's hard to find friends that are really your friends that'll look at you and say, "Hey, God, that's great," and then yeah. not talk about you driving on the road that night. You know, so 
I just was lucky to make a lot of friends, and I, you know, I, I, those moments of, will mean more to me all the time. And, and now I've got a partner that just, you know, it's who would imagine it all these years later. And uh, and on top of that, she's got a Black American Express. Two homes and a condo. <laughs> Rick, you've obviously accomplished everything in wrestling, um, and you talked about it on the 30 for 30, but watching your daughter now compared to watching her accomplishments versus your own and experiencing it, can you comment on that? Well, I, I, I say it openly, and I, to me, she's exceeded everything that I've ever accomplished on a, on a grander stage. I mean, I never main event at WrestleMania. I was a co-main event one time, but... And, and a lot of that's because I was with a different company. Not that I wouldn't if I had been there, but to be in the business six years and to you know, to be where she's at, um, you know, once again, these are the things that I've got to be careful because people are, are going to always, the way our society works today or social media, but I think she's the best athlete in the company, male or female. And anybody that's seen her, I think, would agree and um, she's just an incredible human being. It's, it's you, the, where, having my last name was not a blessing in the beginning. It's all God, Ric Flair, special treatment, and, I, and that that isn't the case, you know. So I couldn't be prouder. She is in a special place, and she'll be there. And um, she's in in a very nice relationship, not only in, in the with the wrestling, but she wants to work with uh, Michelle Wilson, who's the head of, literally runs the company in terms of you know, marketing, and 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 she she wants to be like a uh, an ambassador, you know, eventually, and just and she will be. She's got, you know, they're training her for right now. That's one of the problems with her. She's when she's not wrestling, they, they have her on the road, you know, doing stuff that Stephanie would have been doing a year ago. With Stephanie's backing out to enjoy her family, so. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I couldn't be prouder of her. Thank you for asking. Yeah. So, Rick, if you could uh, just talk about a time maybe where Vince came to you with a storyline idea and you thought there is no way that this will work. This won't go over with the crowd. Everyone's going to hate it. Is there ever a time, because you talked about, you know, he's a genius, but did he ever come to you and you said, like, there's no way this storyline will work? No, I never had that. I never had that conversation with him. Everything they ever gave me was great. The only thing that he and I ever had an argument was they got to a point is that what do you do with Ric Flair, right? And that answer was, you know, the, he was right. The right answer was to retire me. Because I'd been there, got a, it was, I retired. My match was Sean when I was 59. And that... Um, Took a little sweet chin music. Yeah, um, but I was 59 at that... In that uh, event with the taker so you know he just got into the time he knew I loved it and all that and uh, you know he's um, when I've misbehaved he's been the guy that pulled me aside and say look at hey you can either go down a bit in the history of the business as this or you can go down like this and uh, he's always been you know, there to um, and not not shy at all about telling me what's up and uh so we had a big argument one time. He put me in a mixed tag. He didn't, but with a, where it was me and a girl against another. And so I went out there. I was so damn mad. I, I, the girl, I, I took every, I took every bump like she was a guy. I let the girl bouncing around like she was, like she was, um, 
big show. So they came back to the curtain. They go, what are you doing? So, but they got mad. They couldn't win with me, right? So he used to tell me one day, another time, you'll like this. I came through Grillo and I'd cut like a promo like that. And he goes, he ate his heels, don't draw. <laughs> they go, okay, what do you want me to say? I mean, hello. Meanwhile, we're using it all now, five years later, right? So I don't know. We've had arguments. He told me one time to go to, to go look at my match and then come talk to him afterwards because I took a slam off the top. He said, who taught you that? I said, Harley Race. <laughs> he said, okay. <laughs> and he was fine with it right like that. No, he just, I gave him an answer. He didn't think about it. And he, just, he just ran out of what He just said, look at but we just need to put this to rest. You need to go home, <laughs> son. <laughs> but I just got lost. I'm, I'm the first to admit it. That's when I had a five-year really where I was down. But um, I, you know, but a hell of a ride, man. Yeah, I'm back, man. I, I'm back, and I feel better. And Jesus, I mean, it's like God just gave me another shot at the title, right? So hey, here I am. It's really, beautiful. Yeah. Rick, you've been wrestling for so long. There's so many moves that have evolved over the last 20, 30 years. You've been, you, you covered so many eras. There's only so many ways you could take a DDT or a pile driver without like actually wincing in pain or a steel chair to the head or something. What's a move that you had to deal with that actually was difficult to entertain people with in quotes without actually being like, wow, that was incredibly painful. A move I had to take? Or just like a, what's a, what's a, what's a standard wrestling move that actually really, really, really hurts that you wish you didn't have to take in, in Other than show? a slap. Yeah, the chest uh, slaps like that. Like, tell um, me that didn't hurt. Uh, you know, believe it or not, the, the 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 move that I found the most difficult, and I it's used sometimes. It's it's not that the move is is not good, but the people that are doing it have to be good at it. The German suplex, which is like Kurt Angle's deal, and a few other, that Chad Gable uses it now, and uh, um, those guys, you know, they're going to put you right. It's a fine line between the top of your shoulders and the top of your head. You know, it's really easy with a guy like Kurt, who is incredibly strong to, to what we call over-rotate, where you land on your head and then your neck and everything else. Uh, it's a very difficult. Now some of the guys are good enough where they can actually stick you. Um, um, like Andrade, the, the new kid, is, is like phenomenal. But that's that's to me was uh, or or that to take a DDT, a DDT correctly like Jake used to give and Arn, Arn I think Arn gave even a better one than Jake to take a DDT on top of your head, well on top of the head it can hurt you if the guy doesn't tuck you in, and then flip over and anybody can take a DDT where you land on your face, and you know on your body lands frontwards but to go <laughs> to go, to go straight in. Those are two very difficult moves. I, I don't think anybody can take a DDT. <laughs> Just to, like, I'm not trying to take a DDT right now. Well, when you're sweating, you don't think about it. Just go, what the hell? It's going to hurt. What the hell? All right. One more time for Rick and Adam, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening to the Thuzio Live and Unfiltered podcast with our guest, Rick Flair. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like information on how you can attend our live events or book our new virtual ones, visit www.thuzio.com. That's T-H-U-Z-I-O.com. And be sure to follow us on social media at Thuzio.